Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Welcome back, everybody. It has been a long time coming. We're gonna we're gonna make this intro. I'm gonna string this out for at least a minute as our. I won't disclose his age, but we'll just say that the host is getting up there in age, and he just had to wind sprint from one end of the facility to the next uh, to make sure he was back on time for the intro. So we'll allow him to catch his breath off air so he's not gasping into the mic. And we welcome everybody to a new year, a new decade. It's 2020. Uh, The topic for today is very befitting of this time of year. And uh, what do we say, Mr. Host, have you uh, managed to catch your breath after that sprint, sir? I have caught my breath, and I'm ready. Well done. Well done and well said. Well, we're back. It's been a uh, what we we did like a pre-holiday show. What was it? Uh, maybe a little before Thanksgiving. Is that the last time we were on air here? Thanksgiving week. Yep, Thanksgiving week. Okay, yeah. Okay, so a couple days before. So perfect, perfect. So we uh, we got our we got our holiday show in, and uh, we're we're wrapping up the holiday season, as it were. And uh, we are we've got a good a good topic. Um, for for our first show of 2020. You know, for the last, um, wow, Mr. Producer, six years. Yeah. Now, this will be our sixth New Year. No, our fifth, because we started in October 2014. So this will be our fifth New Year uh, our- show. And, of course, yep. the name is appropriate. We're talking about recovery resolutions. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Let's first start off with uh, the first thing on our agenda, which is a pregnancy slash birth update from Mr. Producer, because in our last show, we were a month out. Um, That's right. All systems were go. Uh, All preparations were in order. Um, The new... The new environment was uh, on the prep, getting ready for uh, a, a, a new living space. 
So where are we at? Um, is this baby with us? Give us an update. Yes, sir. Absolutely. The the update is in order. Um, so all of the preparation, we'll, we'll, we'll start by saying uh, you can prepare uh, for 10 years for your first child. And somewhere in that 10 years, once the child is born, uh, you'll be, you'll be, your whole, the holes will be punched in your preparation very quickly. Um, and so we, we, we realized there's only so much preparation you can do, but uh, indeed we have a, a new crew, a new, a new member of the Morales family and the OCG family as of the day after Christmas, your prediction, in fact, uh, yep. December 26, 2019, you, you called it. I, I, uh, for those of you who don't know, I had texted the host, uh, that we were heading on into the hospital for the planned induction. This was Christmas night and, um, the host promptly responded, uh, we are going to have a December 26th birth. Uh, and indeed, you are absolutely spot on with that prediction, sir. Uh, so oh. yes, as of December 26th, it's official. So can we get the uh, the stats, please? Yes, sir. So uh, the the little guy was born seven pounds thirteen ounces, uh, so a, a few shy of the eight pound mark there, and was born at 21 inches in length. Uh, so his weight was not super big. I forget the percentile they gave us, uh, maybe in 50 or even lower, but then the 21 inches length put him like 89 or 90, something like that. Uh, December 26th, he was born in the evening, uh, approximately 6 p.m., so almost almost exactly 24 hours after our arrival. Right. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Well, it was I mean, uh I'll tell you the one the one thing I'll say real quick before you get into it the the one kind of silver lining of the planned induction is you miss out on the blockbuster moment where uh either the the future dad is getting the phone the frantic phone call while he's at work and flying through red lights to get home and all the stuff you see in the movies uh when it's a planned induction it was very very calm we Checked the house twice, grabbed our bags, made sure lights were off and doors were locked, and drove, found a nice parking spot in the hospital and walked right on in. So you missed out on some of the, the chaos and the drama. I don't know if you experienced that on your end, um, but this was a, as smooth as it could be, I guess you could say. Well, before I actually comment on that in regards to my experience, I do have a couple of interview questions that inquiring minds want to know and that is the first one is um even though your wife was being induced it still doesn't yeah. mean that there aren't uh for the for the father to be moments of uh, nervous anxiety and so oh, were, sure. were you were were you present in the room for the birth yes yes and yes okay. in fact I was so, there so the entire did, did, the entire time. Were there any knees buckling, any momentary fainting, any any of those things? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fortunately, no momentary fainting. And funny enough, uh, when when the child was born, uh, you know, there's like a maybe 
they know when the the the, the final push or the last two pushes are going to be because uh, the doctor says something to the nurse, and then before you know it, within 60 seconds, you've got like eight nurses and doctors in your room all at once. Right. Um, all setting up in their different little areas to do whatever it is they're tasked to do. And so when they came flooding in, I said, okay, this is this is going to happen any moment now. It's and, about to uh, get there real. Were a couple of, yeah. And there were a, a couple of male, maybe one male nurse and one male doctor. And um, I remember going over when, when he was first born, and they put him under a little the little heating lamp, and they're checking some things. And uh, that's the first thing he did was congratulate me on not fainting. He said, way to go on not passing out, Dad. And I said, yeah, <laughs> that, uh, that, that, that was the thing. So, uh, so there was none of that. There, there were probably, yeah, there may, may have been some knee – some knee buckling moments for sure. Or some like, wow, I never, I never thought I would see that or experience that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, but no, you know, for the most part, and I don't know if this is, I, I was telling Anna and you might relate because you played sports competitively to a, you know, to a pretty high degree through high school and then into your, into your young adulthood as well. Um, but you know, with athletes, it's funny, as nervous as you get um, or anxious or whatever before a big game or a big moment leading into that moment, your nerves can be through the roof, but there's something when the lights turn on and it's go time that all of that vanishes and you're very much, you're in a zone, you know? And I think playing sports through high school and even beyond a little bit there, that's kind of how I relate it. All the nerves you feel going into a big game, um, but then when, when it's go time, it's go time and all the other stuff kind of goes out the window. And so for the most part, that's how I would describe it. It just kind of felt like there was a little bit of a going into a zone, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you just make it happen. I told Linda and I used to tell Courtney when she was playing high school basketball, she, Linda used to ask me when she used to come to my games and she would want, she would say, you know, don't you know? Don't you get nervous and so on and so forth? And I said, yeah, before the game, he said, but in the game, I said, I don't hear the crowd at all. And so I used to tell Courtney, I said, if you can hear the crowd, that means you're not you're not laser focused in on the game, because when you're laser focused in, you rarely hear the crowd, because you know the crowd goes up and down, ooh and ah, cheering and booing, and I said, I don't hear any of that at all. So when she's right. used to be, because and, and Linda's very. Uh, very, let's say, active, an active participant <laughs> in the stands. All right, um, yeah, yeah. And so she would wonder, can you hear me yelling and screaming? I said, I don't hear a word. So whatever it is you're yeah. saying, I can't hear you. Um, even if it's dead right. quiet in the gym, I wouldn't hear you because you're so laser-focused in. Um, right. But I did, with when Chelsea was born, um, I did have a slight knee buckle because I just wasn't expecting <laughs> – you know, all of that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. And, of right. course, uh, one of the things in the family, it's a joke now, but the way Chelsea was born was she, when she crowned, when her head crowned, that's when, that's when I had the slight knee buckles, when she crowned, okay? And then there was the last push for when they, you know, kind of, she came and they kind of pulled her. Um, but the doctor, yeah. Dr. Tom, when she pulled her out, just took, pulled her and basically threw her 
onto Linda's, like threw her and rolled her up Linda's yeah. chest. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and then right. started doing whatever it is that they do. Uh, with Courtney, right. it was totally different because when Courtney was born, when she when they pulled her out, they took her off to the table. They thought she had swallowed some stuff. And so they had their hands down her throat and all kinds. And all I saw was her hands and Holy. limbs kicking and, kicking and fighting and trying to get them off her. I knew then she was going to be a fighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew then. Yeah, yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah, no, that it's funny you say the, the stuff, right, with the, the the slight knee-buckling moment. But uh, it was funny. After, after he was born and a couple hours later when they transfer you into the room that you're going to be in for two days, um, you know, this is all on the labor and delivery floor. Uh, we had forgotten like a phone charger or something in, in in the delivery room, and so the nurse said, "Oh yeah, go go ahead and go in and grab it." And you know maybe as the moment approaches and then all those doctors and, and your child is there, it's very overwhelming. Um, so you, you don't you don't you're not focused on things that you might be focused on otherwise. And so it was funny after the adrenaline kind of dies down and you go back to the room to grab a phone charger and it's like the only thing missing from that sucker is the yellow caution tape. It's like a damn murder scene in there. And, uh, and so I go to grab the yep. cord and I saw, I saw, uh, like, a uh, you know, the janitorial team who's up there and I had seen them up there throughout um, you know, an hour later, I'm going down the hall. They have like a little kitchenette there for the people um, staying there for a little cranberry juice or something. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm walking. You know, the kitchenette is beyond our room and back through the hallway of that of that labor, the, the active labor rooms. Um, and I just see that they're just kind of going room to room with hazmat suits and mops, and I'm like, oh. man, they're they're jobs. Their job for the whole that whole eight hour shift is every time a woman gives birth and is moved into a room, you got to go in and you want to talk about yeah. biohazard cleanup. Yeah, it's crime that's scene a, cleanup. That's, <laughs> that's a hell of a thing they see that entire time. Holy smokes! Yep. Get it ready for the next the next individual. And so, uh, yeah, that was that was interesting. And then also being on the other side of it, so. We had gone through what we went through uh, until he was born with, you know, the, the pushing and everything that goes into labor. Um, and then once that's done, they're, you know, there's kind of a sigh of relief on one end. And then, you know, the, the, the other stuff kicks into the picture, the nervousness and, you know, whatever you might be experiencing now that the child is here as a first-time parent. But yep. going down that hallway every couple of hours to grab whatever out of the kitchenette, and seeing some of the doors closed in that active labor wing and hearing nurses through the walls, push, you got this. I'm just, oh, wow, man. They are going, they are at the peak of it right now. Uh, interesting to hear on the other side of it for sure. Well, you know, I've always, I always say when it comes to this and throughout your, the pregnancy experience for you and your wife, that, in two-thirds of the world, this doesn't happen, meaning, you know, you're not in a pregnancy suite, you're not in the labor and delivery floor and all of that stuff. You're out in the right field, you're in the hut, you're, you know, you know what I'm saying, you're in, you're in the, room, the other room of the house, you know, that's right. normal in two-thirds of the world. What we of do course. here in the developed world, the Western world, 
is is they look at that and they say, well, that's not normal. Right. So. Right. Of course, no. That it was funny, and, and I actually liked it. But one of the doctors who worked with us throughout this process, she does a lot of pro bono work um, specifically for uh, for pregnant women and and labor and delivery out in some she's been written about and recognized uh, for her work here uh, but out in some little villages in Africa Mm -hmm. and she every time we had a a pregnancy related question you know because there's a a list of things you're not supposed to eat or touch and you're not supposed to sit in a hot tub or get too hot or too whatever and every time we had a concern about something that you know, Anna might be facing going into an event on the weekend or what, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, it was always funny to, to ask her, you know, the question or raise the concern and hear her, her answer like, yeah, you know, you don't need to be concerned about your shower water being too hot because there's, there's women in 110 degree heat out in Africa with no air conditioning uh, giving birth in a, in a hut made of feces and mud and those babies survive just fine so i'm sure you'll be okay and so but i but i appreciated that um she i think she actually said and i forget now because it was so long ago but she said something like oh i think that what she said is yeah you know we are very first world out here mm-hmm. uh when, you know when referring to what we had talked about reading you know, reading something on Google or reading something online and mm-hmm. how these blogs said, oh, stay away from this and don't do this. And yeah, her, her ultimate, her end, her kind of money punch comment was we're, we're, we are very first world out here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, no, that's, that's definitely, definitely true. Well, uh, you guys are now, um, you know, less than a month, a month in. What are you about? Two, three weeks in. Two weeks yeah, in. This Thursday, this Thursday will be two weeks. So two okay. days from now, it'll be two weeks. And for the record, because we asked for his stats, but of course did not disclose the name on air. Uh, Christian right. Emilio Morales. That is the the name of the new edition. And now I think it's important before we move on for you to just briefly add that. There, there, there was a, a twist in this story when it comes to the name. Sure. Because of a screw up. Can you just tell our audience briefly about that? Yeah, we'll give we'll give the two well the two twists and we'll do them both briefly. The first twist is that for eight weeks we believed we were having a girl, uh, and this was through a clerical error made by uh, I, I won't disclose the hospital lest I be uh, pursued and taken to court uh, for some sort of insurance scandal. Uh, but there, there was a, a clerical error made by the administrative staff. Um, the, the test, the NIPT test that, that women can take or do take nowadays um, can reveal whether you're having a boy or a girl much earlier on in the pregnancy than um, how it used to be, which I suppose is around the 20-week ultrasound uh, back in the day is how you'd find out um, and you'd find out visually. There'd be visual right. confirmation. Right. Um, the NIPT is a blood test, so you're finding out through hormones in the bloodstream. Uh, you can find out as early as eight weeks, nine weeks. 
Um, And so we took the test. Uh, We got the email uh, from the clerk or whomever uh, at the hospital that just said, hey, the the NIPT test came back great. There are no concerns in any areas. Uh, Baby looks to be healthy, and congratulations, you're having a girl. Okay, we're off. We're having a girl. Uh, We go to the 20-week ultrasound, and uh, as I stated before, visual confirmation stated otherwise. And um, we didn't know, of course, because ultrasound, we don't know what the hell we're looking at. Uh, But, of course, we're referring to the child as a girl throughout the entirety of this 45-minute in-depth ultrasound. Uh, And the doctor later tells us the nurse was had not been so uncomfortable in quite some time in her experience in the field because the nurse is not legally able to tell us uh, the sex. The doctor has to do that. Right. And so the nurse goes to the doctor. The doctor's telling us this after um, and says, you know, they think they're having a girl. They've referred to her as a girl this entire ultrasound, and she said, I could see within two minutes they were having a boy. Um, and so the doctor comes in and just says, I'm just kind of going to rip the Band-Aid off here and let you guys know you, you are certainly not having a girl. You're having a boy. So hmm. What? And she shows us visually, and she says, you know, sometimes these tests can be inaccurate. So she asks the ultrasound tech, the nurse, to, to have the hospital fax over the, the test to review the results. And uh, the test itself, she passes it around the room and says, no, the, the test is right here, and the test even says you're having a boy. So it was whomever wrote that email just wrote your congratulations on the girl versus a boy in a – maybe they didn't have great sleep the night before or something. Unbelievable. Um, so, so unbelievable, that. Um, and so anyway, uh, to get into the what you were bringing up with the name – uh, we had already had a plan for a girl's name and a boy's name right off the bat. Once we found right. out she was pregnant, we knew what we wanted to name the baby one way or the other. Right. Uh, and then, obviously, when we're told we're having a girl, okay, we're referring to the girl by name. And um, and we had planned on going to uh, Anna's parents' house that evening after the 20-week ultrasound just to let them know, you know, or uh, presumably that we got good news and he's healthy, she's healthy and uh, celebrate with a little dinner. And so when we were told we're having a boy and kind of a little bit of shock, um, I said, you know what? And we kind of, we changed the name that we had had planned all along for if, if we had known it was a boy from the beginning, uh, we, we quick curveball and said, you know what? Uh, we're changing the name. So here's where the, the description comes in. Uh, for some reason, so Anna's family had told um, – Anna's mom and dad had told their extended family in El Salvador, um, you know, when we were married. And I, I assume that they had always just referred to me as Chris, uh, Anna's parents, to her family in El Salvador. And they believed that that was short for Christian. So every time they would contact Anna's parents or reach out to Anna, how's Christian doing? And it became a running joke to where Anna's mom and dad were calling me Christian and her brothers were calling me Christian and everyone, I became Christian um, because, you know, back here we thought that that was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. And so on the way up, I said, you know what, we're changing his name. I've been Christian for long enough. Uh, we are going to give them an official Christian now and hopefully I will go back to go back to Chris. <laughs> and uh, so Anna said, all right. And we kept the middle name the same. Middle name is the is Anna's father's name, 
Right. So yeah, when we went uh, when we went to her parents' house, we did tell them we got a little bit of a surprise. Um, and Anna's mom, who's going to be childcare Monday through Friday, almost fainted because she believed the surprise was going to be twins. And she's, oh man, I don't know if I'm ready to, to handle twins at this age. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, we said we're having a boy, not a girl. And uh, the name you guys will get a kick out of. And I think Anna's mom originally thought it was going to be some sort of joke name. I said, mm-hmm. no, when we tell you, uh, his name's going to be Christian. And they all got a really big laugh out of that. So yeah, now now there's an official Christian. So I'm I'm back to my original name. And and I think we also have to let our listeners know that uh, uh, we I don't hear it now, but when we first came on the air, uh, we heard a little bit of Christian in the background because uh, you that's are right. you are doing the show remotely. <laughs> we are we are doing the show remotely, and I was going to preface the show. If- if you hear something that sounds like a, some sort of a wild animal in the background, uh, that is nothing more than the the method of communication when hungry, which is That's right. really uh, Christian's been quite peaceful uh, the majority of the day, other than when the hunger strikes. And when it strikes, let me tell you, I'm sure our, our neighbors can hear that he's hungry. Isn't it interesting? We always use that analogy in in, in treatment about who is allowed to respond to their feelings 100% of the time. And we always say, well, that's infants and toddlers because that's the only way they really know how to communicate. They don't know how to be verbal yet right? right. and articulate their feelings with words. But we do expect right. adults to be able to do that. And so we want to move them away from the toddler-like way of dealing with our feelings and move into the more adult-like manner of dealing with our feelings, which is we control how we respond to them versus they control us. Uh, right, so, exactly. Well, we would be remiss if we did not spend a few minutes uh, talking about, you know what, it is that time of the year, playoff time. So let's uh, yes, yes, let's indeed. talk some football. And there you have it, folks. And while our San Francisco 49ers are gearing up after their bye week and clinching the number one seed, uh, your Dallas Cowboys and New York Giants are on the on the hunt for new coaches and firing everybody in the house. How about them Cowboys? Yeah! <laughs> yes, yes, indeedy. Turning a new turning a new leaf. Uh, are your Cowboys so the uh, the one thing we can ask real quick is uh, through the through the hiring of head coaches for your Giants and your Cowboys uh, complaints concerns questions you happy with the hirings um, I'm satisfied with the hiring of Mike McCarthy for the Cowboys um, I'm in a wait and see mode in regards to who the New York Giants hired um, okay. But I'm open-minded, like I told you off-air, that, you know, 
special team coaches, which I believe the guy for the Giants was the special teams coach of the Patriots, um, have had success as um, head coaches, but we will see. I'm more interested in knowing what the Giants are going to do with the fifth pick. Sure, okay. In, in the in the draft, um, I'm more interested to see if they're committed to to the whatever the quarterback's name Dan, is, it David Dan, Jones, Daniel or Jones, Dan, Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones. Um, well, I if they're committed to I him, I certainly hope so because they spent the number. What was it? The sixth pick last the just last pick, year yeah. on him, right? So in three successive years, they would have had the second pick, the sixth pick, and the fifth pick. And I would think yeah. with the with the fifth pick, and so you you got running back, you got a quarterback, you also have to get another impact player. So it's either an edge rusher, a cornerback, um, you know, one of those impact positions uh, when you're picking that yeah, high. Yeah, now I'd say I'd say if there is a can't miss all pro future left tackle out there. Yeah, I, was and say, I don't know what the Giants too. current situation is, then 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 you might you might start there. Yeah. Um, yeah. unless yeah. unless they've got their line short up. But No, no, no. They got the guy from the Patriots, um spent gave him a lot of money. Bad pickup, bad pickup. Because the line has been trash since. So uh, um if there's yeah. a can't miss left tackle, absolutely I would do that. Yeah, because you got to protect the guy's uh, blind side for the next ten years. That's right. That's right. So. All right, all right. Well, then, and what we'll do is because not much to say on the Niners' end. They, they will be hosting the Vikings. They'll be hosting throughout so long as they continue to advance. Uh, but of course, we need to get it on air. We need to get it on the record. I believe we've done this every year. Um, your NFC champion and your AFC champion and your Super Bowl champion. Who's representing each side and who's going to win it all? Um, first, let me say this Saturday in the Niners versus the Vikings game, I'm predicting that the Vikings will win 372 to 6. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> I think I have to, even though I am not a Niner fan, you know this from back in the 80s, I've I, they disgust me. Um but they have the most well-rounded team yeah. in the NFC in my opinion. So, I'm going to reluctantly and I'm going to spit spit after I say these words pick the Niners <laughs> to represent the NFC and I will say the Ravens will represent the AFC it will be a repeat of the 2012 Super Bowl and I yep. think the Ravens will win again okay okay there there it is it's locked up it's it's it'll be in the archives cemented in history um, we will see if that comes to fruition. Uh, my my thinking is very close to yours. Um, I do have the 49ers representing the NFC. Um, and even as a fan, putting bias aside, I agree. I think we have uh, the most well-rounded team. And the one team that, that really did honestly uh, scare me in the NFC uh, has been eliminated. 
so the the Saints, you're going against a Hall of Fame quarterback in Drew Brees, and Sean Payton and Drew Brees have been doing it for a long time uh, with the addition of Alvin Kamara in a run game. Uh, I mean, everybody saw, you know, the regular season game that ended, you know, 46 to 42 or whatever it was. Uh, the Saints definitely were the one team in the NFC that really concerned me. And, and with them having been eliminated, um, you know, if, if the 49ers perform the way they're capable of, I do believe they'll represent the NFC. Uh, the Where, where I'm going to go slightly different from you is I believe that Kansas City um, is actually going to represent the AFC. Uh, Baltimore has been hot all year. Lamar Jackson has been incredible. Um, but Andy Reid has been around the block more than once. He's a very experienced coach, and I think he will have seen enough to where if Kansas City and Baltimore play in the AFC Championship, uh, that, that they may be able to contain Lamar Jackson a little bit. Um, and that offense, you know, that Kansas City, when Mahomes is healthy and he was kind of dinged up at the end of the year, I think he'll be healthy, um, I, I would say, Kansas City. So uh, I'm going to say SF in Kansas City in the Super Bowl and, and SF to win it. Uh, against Kansas City and Miami. You're such a homer. But let me ask you a question about Kansas City. If you remember last year's AFC Championship game, yeah. in my opinion, I mean, this is a fact, but it's just my opinion. This is what blew the game for them. It has never been their offense. Right. It has, right. It's sure. always been their defense. And last year, they had the game won against the Patriots if it wasn't for an offsides. Yep. That's very true. They would true. have won the and game and gone to the Super Bowl. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so, that's that's true. The, the offense is not the issue for them for sure. Uh, their defense is going to have to show up. They, they've been better this year than they were last year. But right. I just think with, with time to plan um, and, and potentially – um, pretty poor weather, which can even playing fields. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think I think Andy Reid in Kansas City uh, can get it done. Uh, Baltimore would have been my my second choice. I see it coming down to to those two teams, but I think Kansas City can get it done. Okay. All right. So we shall see how in, it pans out. That's right. That's right. So. Uh, uh, shall we move on to the topic du jour? Sure. So one of the things I wrote in the description is that, you know, the general society, uh, they do New Year's resolutions. But we do recovery resolutions. Um, yes, indeed. And the one thing that's different between the two is more often than not, New Year resolutions are promises people make to themselves. And recovery resolutions have to be commitments that people make to themselves. And so I kind of like to um, separate them out into three categories. There are recovery resolutions that we would want to see from clients Recovery resolutions from the staff perspective, and then recovery resolutions from the program perspective. Um, 
By the way, Mr. Producer, I'm hearing a little bit of an echo kickback. I don't know if you hear it, but I'm hearing it. No, no echo okay. kickback so far. But please, let's not let's we've we've had a clean show thus far. Yeah, we don't want to put the let's whammy not on it. Open up the black hole quite yet. Okay. Um. So for for clients, uh, there's two commitments that I would want to see. And one of the things we talked about in our last show, which kind of kicked off the the holiday, end-of-year, New Year season, um, is that it was a time of reflection. And that reflection really continues all the way through the New Year, um, you know, the New Year period, you know, New Year's Day, first week, so on and so forth, where you're kind of reflecting on where, where you've been prior to, where you're at now, where do you envision yourself being or going. And with the recovery resolutions, part of that is, you know, you know, what am I recommit? So if you're in treatment, okay, what are you recommitting yourself to? And I like to see and hear clients recommit to staying in treatment. You know, whatever level of treatment is, if I'm in residential, I'm committing to stay there. If I'm in outpatient, I'm committing to stay there and see it through to its natural conclusion. Don't short circuit it. Yep. Don't let, you know, we used to call it back in the day, stinking thinking. Start getting in the way. Um, I, I'm always um, intrigued by people who split during the holiday season. You know, what's going on with them? You know, what's going through their mind? What's going through their, you know, what feelings are they going through? What's driving them out the door um, during this time of the year? Um, so I'm always intrigued by that because I know it's something. Um, so I would like the first commitment, the first recovery resolution to be that I'm going to, I'm going to stay in treatment and, and see it through to its natural end. Um, and the, the second one, and I'm going to have to explain what I mean by that, because it might, it might seem obvious, but is I like to hear and, and see clients commit to experiencing recovery. And what do I mean by that? Uh, yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good way to put it. Right, that you know, for each individual, recovery is going to be something different throughout its entirety. Um, and so, when you are in the the treatment phase of your recovery process, you know, there's different phases. And when you're in the treatment or different, what do we used to call them, Mr. Producer? Um, the trimesters. The trimesters, as fitting right. as that is, yes, correct. With the, we, with we, the new birth. We we broke out the recovery process into trimesters to to mimic the pregnancy uh, experience that a, that a woman goes through. And so, to experience your recovery is to to be in it, live in it, experience everything it has to offer. Um, feelings-wise, intellectual, intellectually, um, and to take it as it comes. Don't hide from it. Don't run from it. Don't try and escape it. Don't try and short-circuit it. But every single day, you know, whatever the process brings to your brings to you, 
you experience it with the understanding that let's say if it's um if it's a tough experience you know we, you don't like how it feels going through that experience with the knowledge and understanding knowing that it's temporary that that experience Always. is, is going to be pass, very right. yeah it's going to be very short lived but the experience of the experience the experience of going through it is going to serve you tenfold down the road and where we as persons who are you know going through that recovery process where we kind of sometimes make a a mistake or for those who know better make a bad decision a bad choice is trying to you know circumvent the process and not allowing yourselves to you know go through the experience which you'll be able to on the far end down the road and and down the road depending on where you're at in the process may seem like wow that's a far way off but you know what's that old saying time and time wait for no man you know it before you know it you know you're going to be at this point in the process looking back on wow I was I remember when I first started my recovery journey and look how you know look how much time has gone by and look where I'm at now um right but you have to be willing to live it. And I know it's a cliche when we say, you know, hey, one day at a time. But it's very important that you do that and live it one day at a time and experience it one day at a time. So I want my clients, I want clients to commit to staying in treatment and commit to experiencing their recovery. 100%. 100% and that and obviously it's a it's a whole new topic for another show and or a rehashing because it's a show we already did but I think that's the key point there is experiencing it right feeling it experiencing it allow embrace it allow yourself to to go through that roller coaster to go through the ups and downs and, and that's that's all a part of the treatment experience and it needs to be uh, in order to best prepare any client for transition back out into the real world when that time should come for them. Um, we, we don't want to flatline through treatment. So experiencing it um, with the commitment, the added commitment piece, which is kind of the, what we're talking about here and what you said, is just the commitment to, um, you know, one day at a time and staying, seeing it through and, and committing to, to, to the treatment experience and the full process. Um, mm-hmm. and not allowing any kind of feeling that might arise um, derail you from, at the very least, staying in the program and, and giving the treatment a fair, a fair shake. Right. Exactly. The things I would like to say, I can't say see because – as far as staff are concerned who work in this field, um, it has to be a personal choice. But just in the general abstract view, um, you kind of take a look back and, you know, there's aspects of working in this field and, 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 and working with clients, you know, behind the scenes that are, you know, very laborious, and I think it's mm-hmm. safe to say that the true the true work is that direct 
interaction with the clients. You know, this is what occurs on the floor. This is what occurs in groups. This is what occurs in one-to-ones, um, in seminars, in meetings, etc. That's the true, true work. And then all the other stuff that goes on behind the scenes, all the documentation people have to do and all, all of that stuff, um, the hope is, is that that stuff doesn't overwhelm the true work that folks do that are in this field. So with that stated, we're charged with looking back, reflecting, and saying, it could, you know, Whatever our role may be, we all have different roles, right? So whatever our role is in this arena, you know, how did we do? You know, you kind of do a self-assessment. Um, is there anything we would do differently? Um, and what would what would we what would I commit to doing in the new in the new year? What would be my recovery resolution as a staff person? Uh, one of my right. favorites, which, and it, it's always a recovery resolution for me as a staff person, because to me, as you go through the year, you know, you go through periods where it gets it gets lost, um, and things may trigger it and bring it back. But for me, it's to always remember to be compassionate. Mm-hmm. And and to me specifically. So the first one was just me generally, but to me specifically, and always remember where you came from. You know, so as was told to me many, many years ago, you know, and, you know, remember where you came from, remember where you came from. Those are that and the offshoot of that is always the first recovery resolution for me. Be compassionate and remember where you came from. So even if I never add anything else, I don't have a second one or a third one. Those two should serve me well as I go into the new year and, you know, approach the work, whatever it may be, um, from that perspective. So I'd like to see compassion. Uh, remember where you came from, if it applies. It doesn't apply to everybody. Um, let me ask you, Mr. Producer. You're a staff person. You work in this field. You have many skins on the wall. Uh, what is a recovery resolution you would think of from a staff person's perspective? Yeah, so I think the the I mean, remember where you came from is is a really really big one. Um, I I like the application of that specifically to um, employees who have been through the program. Um, I think that that's a major proponent for those employees to, to carry with them and be mindful of at all times. Um, but one thing I'll say, and this may be more applicable to longstanding staff versus uh, staff who are, who are either A, new to OCG or newer to OCG, or B, generally speaking, new in the field. Um, this may apply more to staff who've got a little more time under their belt in the field or, and or with OCG specifically. Um, and, th- and that would just be um, to, to remember why you're there. So, so it's kind of a, a, a take or a spin off of remember where you came from. 
Um, but you can, we can all, as longtime staff, get caught in the monotony of the field and the process, um, the, the parts that you were referring to that go on behind the scenes, um, the paperwork and the billing. Um, generally speaking, nobody goes to college and studies um, any kind of human services or psychology, sociology um, with a goal or a desire to do paperwork, right? That's generally not the type of person who will study such a subject or find themselves in this field. We work in this field because we enjoy working with people and we enjoy the, enjoy that interaction. Um, and sometimes getting caught up in the doldrums of uh, everything that needs to happen for a program to run, um, we can lose sight of really embracing those times and cherishing those times where we're doing the work that we signed up for, uh, the work that we want to do. And so, and so just kind of remembering a little refresher, um, that, you know what, each client that, that you work with, it's an opportunity, um, to, to hopefully, uh, illuminate a path for somebody to get where it is that they want to go to, to live a little better, um, to not get caught up so much, um, in the day-to-day operations and allow that to kind of drain you, but rather to keep a fresh perspective, to, to refresh your perspective that uh, why we're here, why we work in this field, um, that, you know, what the paperwork is just a part of the process, but we do still have an opportunity to work with clients, and every client's an individual um, and presents a new opportunity um, to, to really give help the way we, we may want to give help or the way we see fit. And I think if staff can adopt that mindset uh, and kind of refresh and take a deep breath and, and, and move forward and, 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 you know, allow yourself to feel like every opportunity is new um, can, can get you out of that, that, that standing kind of robotic process that we can find ourselves in sometimes. Absolutely. Um <clears throat> If that and if that's not enough, one that I'd like to add on the tail end of that is, which can sometimes be a dichotomy, and that is to be open, be open, be mentally, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically open. Um, you know, when you're open, you you can be a very good listener, which is very important in this field, being able to listen. Um, but at the same time, be demanding. You know, push, sure. push. You know, have high expectations of our our clients, um, and and not settle for low expectations. Not you know, but but continue to push and demand. Uh, more because in the end they will thank us for it. So as a staff person, um, you know you can you can be open. Sometimes people I think interpret when you say being open that um, that means you know being soft, being a pushover. Um, you know whatever sure, is yeah, said, sure. whatever is said, I'll go for it, I'll fall for it. No, just if you're open, you'll know when you hear something that makes sense, something that moves you. Um, and you'll know when you hear nonsense. Um, but if you're closed, you won't hear either and be able to then make that distinction. Yeah, um, right, exactly. 
and 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 with that taking that and melding into there that we also want to commit to continuing to push our clients to excel at a very high level. Um, and again, I I have not encountered anyone, um, me personally, that I've interacted with where um, if I've interact with, inter, interacted with them for a period of time um, and I said, you know, this person can accomplish this, um, that I'm going to accept an effort any less than what would be required to accomplish that. Right. Now the challenge sure. of course for a staff person is, you know, oftentimes oftentimes, um, for many varied and obvious reasons, the client does not believe in themselves at that moment in time yet. You know, there's not a lot of self confidence, not a lot of self esteem, etc. Not a lot of uh security feelings of security, et cetera, feelings of adequacy, et cetera. Um, so, you know, we have to be that positive reinforcement and being able to point out where they are making improvement, succeeding, and so on and so forth. Along yeah. with, you know, where they might be falling short. But, but when, if you point out where someone's falling short, it must be with the goal of, you know, pushing them forward. So it can't just be, you just can't beat down, beat down, beat down, beat down. Yeah, right, right. You're not trying to beat someone down. You're you're trying to open their eyes to, to looking at it from a different perspective or angle. Right. So, and the third category, of course, is what as a program are we going to commit to as a recovery resolution? And if you think back over the years, Mr. Producer, as we've been through some, you know, a lot of changes in how many years have we been in California? 2020. We came in 1988. Yeah, well, we came out right. 88. Right. Yep, right. 88, 98, 08, 18, so 32 years. Right. Um there's been a, there's been a lot of external change, so change we've had to respond to as an organization. And there's been a lot of internal change, things that we've changed and uh, on our own. Um I think the biggest change internally that we had was in 2008. I don't know if you recall this, well, you should recall this, Mr. Producer, when we um, did our treatment enhancement project and we kind of moved away from, um, we kind of moved into our strength-based approach to the TC. Yeah, Um, sure, yep, I recall. And... It wasn't easy to do that because, you know, for the last however many years, um, Daytop and then OCG, you know, we kind of were, for lack of a better expression, you know, the, the you kind of spent more time reinforcing the negative aspects of a person rather than the positive aspect, aspects of a person. So we we committed then to flip that around. But you could still yeah, point we, we out. we found it to be very we found it to be very important to ensure that no right. client left Daytop without knowing that they were lazy and non-caring. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so 
we said we're gonna we're still gonna point out the areas that need improvement, okay? But the overwhelming majority of the time is going to be on what you are doing now that is positive, and how the area that needs improvement can can be brought up to those other areas that are performing at a high level. Um, so, and it took us you know it took us time to flip that around flip the mindset around and so on and so forth and so we are you know 12 years into that into that flip um and it's it's you know 12 years might seem like a long time but it's still a work in progress because remember prior to that we were doing that previous way for 30 something years yeah you know, since since daytop started in 1963 that was the way that it you know treatment was applied for so to speak and so we've been 12 years in using the strength-based approach and it's always going to continue to be a work in progress um and so we definitely want to commit to continue to do that we want to commit to continuing to reinforcing the positive aspects of the the growth and the change that we see in clients as you go about the day-to-day you know, experience of being a treatment program, sometimes it gets lost in the shuffle that it's very, very important for people to hear positive things about themselves. It's well known. It's undeniable that many times, oftentimes the addict does not see change in themselves. It has to be pointed out to them. And then once sure. you point it out to them, they could say, oh, wow, you're right. They could recognize that and then become comfortable with recognizing change in themselves so they can then use that to continue. It's like a self-replicating thing. So if I tell you, right. hey, look at how you've improved in this area, and you say, oh, wow, wait, I never even noticed that. Yeah, look at that. Look at where you were a month ago, and look at where you are now. You see that change? Okay. And then it becomes self-replicated. And so, as a program, we commit to continuing to do that, doing that more, because we recognize how important that is for clients. And I don't want to do any more, because to me, those two are very important. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to water yeah. them down. Yeah, right. No, exactly. They, they, they absolutely are. Um, and it's funny you say, it, and it's, and it's an age-old story. Like you said, clients having a very hard time recognizing um, or realizing that they have changed or the change that is taking place. Um, and, and it's always easier seen from the outside in. Uh, because each individual is experiencing their own reality through their perception day to day, right? And so when something is changing gradually, um, you're still waking up feeling like, you know, who you've always been. Um, but the, the change in behavior or thought process um, can certainly be seen and felt by those who interact with you. Um, and so it's funny that that phenomena that takes place, but you're absolutely correct, and it is important for for the staff to then see that and, and acknowledge it and point it out um, so the client can then 
internalize and, and see it for themselves. Fascinating. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So, Mr. Producer, we talked about the recovery resolutions that we like to see from clients. We talked about the recovery resolutions um, or examples of recovery resolutions that staff can incorporate and then recovery resolutions from a programmatic perspective. Um, One of the things I'd like before we close out here, I want to shift gears for a second and go back to something. We didn't have a show in October, and usually we do because October is our anniversary month of when we started our our OCG radio. Um, And we started, I want to say, if I got the date right, October 21st. Um, no, I'm sorry. We did our our very first show, which was uh, almost like an emergency show, was in October, and that was, um, if you recall, Mr. Producer, that month of October, we were practicing for our inaugural right. show, which was scheduled for, I believe, November 17th, and um, and we were we were practicing, going, doing all the things that we were doing because we wanted to make sure that. We put out a very good product um, technically, um, programmatically, et cetera. And during that process, of course, the Monsignor passed away. And, right. um, and for those of our listeners who don't know who the Monsignor is, he's the founder uh, of Daytop or co-founder. So he passed away October 19th. And so we in the middle of our practice run scrambled together and put together the very first show which was a uh, uh, um a show in honor of him and then we took a two week break and continued fine tuning and practicing getting our equipment straight which is a whole nother s- we should just do a show on our that experience of all the uh <laughs> the equipment issues trying to get our show we're perfectionists folks what can we tell you um, get our our Tell broadcast to to sound technically good, and um, then we went on the air with our actual first scheduled show, November seventeenth is the date that sticks out in my memory, um, two thousand fourteen. And I encourage po- folks to go back and listen to those first three shows because those first three shows we did the history of. Daytop, a three-part series. Um, That's right. And and we interviewed some very important people to the history of Daytop. Um, the, one heavy of the co-founders, hitters, as we call them, heavy hitters. One of the co-founders, um, the chief executive officer of Daytop, who was the first graduate of Daytop, uh, Charlie Devlin, um, and then the third show kind of touched on the the decline of 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 daytop so it was a three part series that we did um so I would encourage everyone to go listen to that um it's gotten a tremendous number of listens and very good feedback so I just wanted to touch a little bit on that we since we didn't do a show in October that it was our anniversary month, and that would have made um 
five years. Yeah, that's right. Five years of being on the air. Half a decade. With a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of craziness on the air in between. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And we'll say, and maybe we'll knock on wood again, but that uh, 2020, uh, so far uh, here as we wrap up the show, no technical difficulties. So maybe uh, maybe Blog Talk's New Year's resolution was to clean up their act a little bit. Wow, yeah, it might be a good sign for the, for the year. So, so with that, right. Mr. Producer, um, that's it. Unless you got any, anything else to say, um, we we do hope to be back on the air. Um, um, we I think we committed last year we were going to do at least one show a month, at least. Um, right. that's so right. sometime sometime in in February. That's but right. That's all I got. That's right. That's all I got. Perfect. No, it was a well timed show exactly for its intended purpose, uh, and so um, I think I think everything that needed to be said was said but i will say uh, i hope everybody who did listen um had a great holiday season uh that was uh hopefully um needed a little a little recharge and refresher for everybody uh who got to go through um this process whether that be at home or or in ocg or in any program um i hope that uh blessings were uh fell upon everybody um, who who is listening during the season? Uh, we do want to thank everybody as always for the ongoing support. Whether you call in to participate or listen in the archives um, or listen while on the road, wherever you're at, we thank everybody for the ongoing support. And I uh, do want to wish everybody a great 2020. Uh, make it a great year for yourself. Um, it is never too late to start a race, and so uh, hopefully this year becomes one that is memorable for uh, all of our uh, listeners and participants and everybody else who this message might reach. So happy new year, everybody. Uh, Let's make 2020 a great one and we will catch you guys all on the other side.
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash 
OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio.